Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode number 74. Hey listeners, if you enjoy the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, please let others know about us. Tell your coworkers, your friends, your family, loved ones, and share it on social media at Macrofab or follow us on Facebook. And I still need to add it to this list, but the Instagram is Macrofab Inc. That's right. At some point during the show, we're going to announce a secret code word. If you email us the code word and your address, we'll send some cool Macrofab swag your way. The email address is podcast at macrofab.com. And I would like to thank you for downloading our show. And if you have not, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, and make sure that you basically if you subscribe to the RSS feed or to iTunes or to the Google or wherever you can download this thing. It'll let you know when a new episode comes out. That's right. And if you could leave a short review on our iTunes page, um, five-star reviews only, <laughs> um, it'll help other listeners find us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Are you thanking them before they they put, give a review? I'll, I'll think again at the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's been up, Parker? Um, so this past couple of weeks, I've been learning... Python, right, and OpenCV, which is Open Computer Vision. Um, I think I talked about this a little bit two weeks ago, and probably in the past also. I know we've mentioned it before. Yeah, and basically, I just like, like about two Mondays ago, I sat down for my computer and I was just like, I am going to figure out how to do, like, basically web development and OpenCV and stuff like that. And so I set up a Ubuntu virtual machine, and then uh, got PyCharm, which is a Python IDE installed. Um, and I basically just started hitting our API endpoints on macrofab.com. Right. And pulling in order information and stuff. And I'm just like, I'll put it this way. Web developers have it so much easier than hardware. <laughs> that stuff just works. Yeah. Yeah. You write it. You write it whatever command it is and you just get whatever you need yeah, yeah. it could be it's, also it's not that easy i know it's not that easy it, I, it could be though that our our web developers made a really good api that's easy to use yeah, possibly it's probably both probably yeah because um, they've probably been through the crap before probably um and then the for the open cv side i enrolled in like this like free 10-day like class mm -hmm. the 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 blog is pyimagesearch.com. I'll put the link down below. Okay. Um, but basically, you sign up, and the guy tries to sell you his ebook, like, almost at every other turn. But he's got, like, a 10 free day clear, uh, free thing. Like so, like a lecture series kind of thing? Kind of. It's, it's very example-based. Oh, like. okay. Download this and just look through it kind of thing? Well, and, and then he, he has a blog post that goes with it that, you know, he'll have a, he'll break the code down line by line of what's going on. Gotcha. You know, what does this function do? And then what I'll do is actually take the function and go look in the OpenCV documentation and see exactly what it does. Okay, they break down the syntax and everything. Yeah. Cool. But and they'll, but they only tell what that function done, uh, does in the relationship of what we're using it as in the project. Whereas I want to know, like, everything. Yeah. So I, I will go in, read that documentation, and so yeah, I got a basically I got a webcam working, mm -hmm. so I can pull images in. I can crop. I can. Uh, I actually just today got lens correction working. 
Right, so you can take off fisheye. Yeah, basically, yeah, take the roundness off. Uh-huh. And that works really well. Um, so I, then I, I'm basically taking pictures of PCBs mm-hmm. and cropping out all the uh, parts and stuff. Right, using the XYRS data or the, just the XY locations. XY locations that I am pulling through our API. Well, plus, do you also use the XY size of the part? Yes. Okay, so you, so you crop the image based off of the XY location and yeah, the and size. Yeah, and I put a little margin just so it, you know, right. gets a little more area. 10% or something like that. Yeah, and then so it'll pull that image. And so the idea is to be able to do quality control on a prototype level visual QC mm-hmm. without having to, like, sit there and remember if you've looked at the entire board. Right, or or yeah, instead of having to just, you know, go all day long with your eyes under a microscope, you can take the, all these cropped images and do QC on a screen. Yes. Right. Yeah. Cool. You don't, the guy who's even doing QC doesn't even need to be at that bench anymore either. He can be remote. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it sends it to your phone, and you just, like, it's like... Uh, You're in the bathroom and doing QC. <laughs> no, what, what's that app? Is it Tinder? We swipe right or swipe left? Yes, so that's what, what's accept? Right. right. So you swipe right for good parts and swipe left if there's bad. <laughs> and it shows the heart or the heart breaking based off of he's swiping oh, right or left. <laughs> PCB oh. Tinder. I like that. I think that might be the code word. PCB Tinder? Yeah, PCB Tinder. <laughs> All right. That's the code word. <laughs> uh, send that in with your address to podcast at macrofab.com. Um, so that's that's that project i've been working on for the past couple weeks the raspberry pi 3 compute module board landed on my desk today yep and this is the board that steven and i have a basically a six pack of beer riding on whether or not it'll work correctly the first time or not right yeah so the so you've already powered it powered it up and it didn't blow up it it pulled something like 20 milliamps yeah which is fine that's basically like just quiet of, of the yeah regulators and, right. and leakage through capacitors. And so so you're doing all right so far. Yeah, yeah. It's there still might be something wrong with it. Yeah, because I still have to plug the basically the Raspberry Pi into it. Right. And I don't get one of those until my friend gets into town this weekend. And so we'll know some. next week. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Listeners will know next week whether or not I messed up or not. <laughs> um, but I did mess up on the. Uh, you messed up on another board. I messed up I on like, the other oh. board, though, but not, this, not the one that counted. Um, the compressor IoT board that's got the particle photon on it. Right. Um, and that's the project where I'm going to stick this board, basically glue it to the side of the compressor, and it will measure how long the compressor runs for. It can turn off the compressor if there's a, you know, an error or whatever. It detects that the compressor is running for a long time. and goes, okay, something's probably wrong. Mm-hmm. Shut it off. Um, it can it can read the temperature of the room in case it gets too hot. You know, a bunch of environmental stuff it can do. Yeah. Um, so I plugged it in, and it pulled an amp and a half at 5 volts, which is not supposed to. Right. And then, I, you know, the first thing you do, of course, is, like, you start touching the board if you get what's hot. <laughs> and so I put my thumb on the op amp, which is a 4555? 4558. 558, yeah. Generic... Um, I think it's a Diodes Inc. one. Okay. Brand. Um, yeah, it's a Jelly Bean jelly audio bean op amp. Audio op amp. Um, and it, like, it singed a, you know, SOIC 8 square into my thumb. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's hot. And then I took my thumb off, and then it immediately let the smoke out. 
<laughs> and then it, and then the power supply dropped down to like 20 milliamps. Well, yeah, which is what you would expect. <laughs> which so, is what I wanted. So that op amp was taking everything. Yeah, and so I'm like, okay, that's weird because I've used this part before. Mm-hmm. Um, on other projects, I'm like, there's, there shouldn't be. Any you used problem. it on the uh, the Jeep, yes. right? The right. Jeep, the that's Jeep, part of the audio switching circuit. Yeah, the Jeep uh, Bluetooth um, switcher has these has like two of them on the board. Right, and they worked. I mean, as soon as the board came in, you powered it up, and that worked fine. Yeah, that that was uh, another board I made that worked first time, just flawlessly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so what happened on this one? So, because <laughs> um, and we pulled up the the board layout. Yeah, and we're like. And you were like, you knew what it was. You're like, <laughs> pin eight is supposed to be. Uh, pin eight on a, on a standard dual op amp package is positive voltage. Okay. And pin four is negative yeah. or ground. And so I right clicked in that and I had them backwards. Yep. And so I'm like, that's weird because, you know, the output's pin one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to pin one and it was output. Yep. And the, the negative Se- and positive inputs Second or were, third were correct yep and right. so we went back to the schematic and we we're looking at it and i right clicked on it and hit properties and i had mirrored the part vertically vertically to switch the um the positive and negative rails to flip them around so the schematic would make more sense when you drew it mm-hmm. but i did not label the pins on the op amps symbol for power they were just legs coming off yeah, one right. they didn't have like VCC and VDD. Right, you didn't you didn't realize it, but you flipped ground and power on the schematic symbol. Yes, and then just connected them up that way. Yeah, opposite. So, yeah, yeah I had a wah, oh, wah, wah, wah. yeah, uh, not good. <laughs> so that brings up a pet peeve of mine. Uh, okay, so when you go and look at pull up any uh, op amp uh, example online, go to Google and type in like op amp circuits or whatnot. The Almost 99% of the time you see an op-amp, the non-inverting terminal is uh, above the, the uh, inverting terminal. So the, yep. the minus sign is uh, up and the plus sign is, is down. I don't know how Eagle does it by default, but in dip trace, all op-amps are drawn the other way around, such that plus is up and minus is down. So pretty much no matter what, if you plop down a default op-amp from dip trace into a schematic, you have to do a vertical flip. I know it's just like a right click, but it's also like everyone always has the non-inverting terminal. Oh, I'm sorry, the inverting terminal facing upwards. So just draw it that way. Uh, even if you're doing a non-inverting amplifier, you still have the plus. Typically, it's traditional to have it down. So I, yep. I don't know. It's just a pet peeve of mine. I always draw mine that way. I just flip them around sometimes when it's the makes the schematic look cleaner. Yeah, yeah. Well, and another thing, too, the, the exact same thing ha- has happened to me <laughs> in terms of flipping them vertically. Um, on, on In dip trace, they have the positive terminal, um, the, the positive input and the positive voltage on the same side of the op-amp. Ooh. So if you flip it upside down the way it is drawn in like 99% of the world, then you have to connect power on the bottom side of the op-amp for the on the yeah, schematic yeah. side. So it's just annoying. I have to go in and modify the package. I hate doing that. It's like, just, I don't know. It's a pet peeve. Yeah. Maybe Eagle does it the same. I don't know. Well, Eagle, you, I actually have never looked at the default libraries of Eagle. <laughs> You've always done it all yourself. Always done it myself. Huh? There you go. Yeah. So, Steven. Yeah. Any synth stuff? Yes. Oh. And no. And yes, some more. 
Right. <laughs> so, uh, I think two weeks ago I talked about uh, building some more modules. Yeah. So I'm still I'm still kind of chugging through those right now. Uh, so it, I'm building two envelopes and one filter. Uh, and one of the reasons why I've kind of just haven't gotten them out is because I'm still waiting on a part. So um, why are you building three envelopes now? Well, I'm I'm canning the one that's on the on my current PCB. Correct. Uh, so I'm building two. It, the The intent was always to have two envelopes, such that you could control the amplifier, the voltage controlled amplifier, and the voltage controlled filter separately. Are they designed the same? They're identical. Okay. Uh, so um, across the uh, the faceplate, in fact, in one of our episodes, I can put another picture of the faceplate. I have switches on the front, such that any module in the synth can access either envelope one or two. You select it from the front. Gotcha. So you could have the amp on both, the amp and filter on one envelope or opposites or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, I'm building those, and those are pretty simple. I've, I already got the strip boards, and I, and I cut all my traces and things like that. I already have, I've got all the parts sitting on my coffee table. I just need to kind of put them together. Kind of another reason why I haven't finished building them yet is because my soldering iron broke the tip of it. Um, <laughs> and not, not the actual tip itself, but the, the the plastic sheath that goes around it. Your Radio Shack Fire Stick. It's it was it no it's a Mark Ethan from Amazon. It was like 60, 70 bucks. It's a great iron, except for the fact that this plastic part breaks. The, the front fell off. The front? Yeah, the front fell off. Oh well, yeah, something like that. Oh, that's a YouTube video, right? Yeah, so that happened. So uh, the uh, I've got a new part coming in tonight, so I'll, I'll be getting on that. But uh, the the part that I'm kind of waiting on for uh, finishing the filter is the CA3146, which is just a five-up array of NPN transistors in a dip package. And that's kind of a traditional IC that's used in these filters. Uh, and I didn't have to use it. I could have gone a bunch of different routes. But I I, I wanted to build, like an old school filter. So this is like a traditional design. So I bought that IC from a place that claimed to have it in stock. They even had like, we have 94 of these in stock. Yeah, exact number. Yeah, and yeah, exact number. And then I contact them a week later because I haven't gotten a shipping notice. Uh, and they're like, oh, well, we've had to buy it from another place. They have to get it in. Then they're going to ship it to me. So it's like, oh, great. I should have just bought it from eBay, you know, because then, like, you do actually know what you're getting. Yeah. This 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 chip has been obsolete for years and years. So So why are you using an obsolete part for? Traditional. Okay. That's It's purely just, I, I think it's fun. I think it's fun to use, like, old stuff like that, you know. Like, I, w- I would love to eventually get into SID chips from, like, a Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are obsolete, but you can still get them on eBay. Um it's it's more of like a, I want that specific filter from a specific year, and ah. that chip was used on that filter. So they were, the, the, the place I bought them from, they were like 80 cents. Uh, and I thought they had old stock, but I guess they didn't. Whatever. I got five of the chips coming, so I can build some a couple filters. So um, I'm also working on some uh, some new power supply circuitry for the tube mics that we've talked about here. Oh yeah, in the past. yeah. Uh, whew, how long ago was that? Yeah, we gave eight m- episodes ago. The tube mics. Yeah. Oh, maybe more than that. We gave Josh. Oh no, it was the episode with Josh. Yeah. This episode like sixty something. It's something like that. Yeah. Um, we gave him one of these mics for a Christmas present. We built him um one of these mics, and. Uh, 
his power supply works fine for it, but I want to do some mods to him. Uh, and I, basically what I want to do is just kind of adjust some voltages and stiffen things up because the power supply that comes with the mic or the kit that we bought, it's all right at best, but it's not great. I can do a whole hell of a lot better. So one of the things that this, this uh, power supply needs, since I've got 120 volts available to me, uh, it, it needs a 6.3 or a 12.6 volt rail DC but it also needs something in the range of 200 to 300 volts. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to spend a bunch of money getting like a custom transformer wound. So I have a whole box full of these little flat pack trans, uh, transformers at my guitar shop that uh, they're like, they're meant to be a, you know, dual primary. So you can either put 220 or 120 into it and you get out 10 volts or 20 volts. So, it's kind of ridiculous, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take 120, put it into one of these transformers, and I'm going to drop that down to 10 volts such that I can get the heaters for the tubes mm -hmm. off of that. But then I'm going to take a second one of these transformers, flip it around, put the 10 volts back into its 10 volt line, and flip that around to 220 and rectify that oh, so that okay. I can get both the heater line and the high voltage line. It takes two of these transformers, but I literally have 120 of these transformers in a box that I've had for years. So it's so just what's like... What's the story oh, behind this box full of transformers? You know, I was building guitar pedals a while back, and there's a uh, there's an electronic store here in Houston that had these I was hoping you had been like, it was like on the side of the road... And, like, you used to have, like, a box of free kittens and free transformers. Free transformers. Oh, my gosh. That would have been amazing. <laughs> the box is, like, you know, wet and greasy looking and... Ooh. Well, so I got these transformers to build guitar pedals, and I used only, like, a handful of them. But I cut a deal with an electronic store in Houston and got that whole box for nothing. And, of course, you know, my style, I, I kind of hoard all the parts that I get. I, my shop is so full of friggin' parts. Um, and I and I knew one day I was going to use these transformers, and now I am using them, and <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Has come. Yeah, I'm going to use two of them, <laughs> two of the 120. <laughs> so yeah, that that'll be fun. It's it's kind of ridiculous and way overkill, but it's free. I don't have to go out and buy you know twenty thirty dollars worth of transformers. Yep. So that's what I've been up to. So I guess we'll move on to the pow, the pick of the week. Pick of the week. So spark fun. Always like spark fun. Right? Yeah. They came out with a hundred. Well, this is with the closure of Radio Shack. Right. Because this is what you It's, it's a little bit of an homage to Radio Shack. Yeah. Um, spark fun came out with their 130 in one electronic playground starter kit thing. Yeah. Which is basically you get an electronics book, a bunch of parts, a piece of, you know, really fancy plastic slash cardboard with springs on it, and you make circuits. Um, it's, it's kind of in a lot of ways it's it's people's first electronic kit yeah and what with the closure of radio shack where would you buy one of these i guess maybe fries but fries isn't everywhere right um same thing with like micro center or whatever and so now you can just buy a kit on spark fun for only 50 bucks yeah it's actually a really good deal it's, it's like half the price of radio yeah. shack yeah, I remember uh, I, I I had a couple of these when I was a kid. And the thing is, like, they're really cool at first, and then you realize that you can't do a whole lot with them. I mean, most of the, the circuits in there are like, learn how to turn on a light bulb or something like that. There was always, like, radio That's stuff. That's 120 and, of the 130? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Like, yeah, only the five or six are, like, really interesting or something. The thing is, 
they they're made as cheap as possible. They've got these two plastic side plates, but the actual board that you work on is made of cardboard. And if it gets even slightly moist, uh, it just gets completely gross. And <laughs> I had one or two that was just like real floppy and nasty and ugh. But hey, I, I built a bunch of circuits spill, on them. Spill your milk on it. <laughs> yes, my chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> so on to the RFO. Yeah, on to the RFO. Um, so we have three this week, like yep. usual. The first one is Fail of the Week Museum Buttons, found on Hackaday. Mm-hmm. I picked that one because you have, are doing a museum project. That's right. And so that was going to be an interesting one. Um, Wood Lichtenberg, mm-hmm. that we as a project slash tutorial on instructables. Instructables, yeah. And then Qualcomm Qualcomm fingerprint sensor enables virtual home button. And that was Electronic News Weekly. Yes. So the first one, fail the week museum buttons. Um, this is like I think actually one of the editors or writers on Hackaday had an article about a museum piece that they are designing and they were first using industrial control buttons mm-hmm. and those you would think they'd be really good because it's got industrial in the name. Right. But they actually are really bad for this kind of environment because this has got kids, you know, he, how he says it, picking, prodding and licking <laughs> switches. And they're not designed for that. They're designed for a human with a glove to press it. Right. And that's it. A person in a you know, industrial plant isn't going to like pick at a button or like lick it or whatever. Yeah, kids will destroy yeah. a button. So an industrial switch is more of it can it it, it has long legi- longevity. Right. In just actuations. Right. And, well, and, 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 and in some ways it's kind of guaranteed for the that number of actuations. Yeah. And it's it might have a IP rating mm-hmm. and it might have a, a div rating. For yeah, some kind of chemical rating or yeah, explosion yeah. proof, yeah. whatever. Whereas for kid proof, you need vandal proof switches. <laughs> yeah, bulletproof. <laughs> bulletproof. Um, and so he goes into some things with like, um, so that didn't work. And so they switched out to vandal proof switches, but those are pretty pricey. They're like 30 bucks a switch. Mm. Um, those are the kind of switches you see in, like, elevators and stuff where they're really flat. And when you press them, there's not a lot of tolerance, so you can't really get a pick or a pry bar in there or anything or, you know, spit. <laughs> um, and so they tried to do um, capacitive touch, yeah, which worked in their lab, but they installed it at the museum and it didn't work at all. Oh. Yeah. And so they had some weird issues with, like, grounds or something. Um, they actually, from the time of the article, they haven't figured out that solution yet. Hmm. And so I was going to ask you, is what are y'all doing for the drill? So, yeah. The uh, drill project. For, the, for, for our drill project, so we, ours is continual motion. Okay. So basically when the museum opens up, they effectively plug it in. Or, okay. or or turn on the light switch and it activates gotcha. and it just runs nonstop. So yeah, we didn't. We have our drill is purely for um, visual. Uh, there's no interaction with it. There's going to be like a little kiosk around it that has like, you know, here's a drill head and you can watch it kind of thing. Uh, but but no actual buttons. Gotcha. Now if I were to use a button in that in that situation, uh, 
I what I would likely do is actually purchase a handful of buttons and just beat the living shit out of a bunch of them <laughs> and find out which one works. I would use an arcade style button. Oh That's yeah, the yeah. Deep body, solid plastic, and then with a micro switch on the back. Yeah, yeah. Because there's if they can survive an arcade. They can survive a museum piece. Well, and the, and the thing is, like, it's guaranteed to have a boatload of kids coming by, slamming it as hard as they possibly can, or hitting it like an elevator button, just da 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 da, da you know, just oh, yeah, pa- yeah. like pounding on it. Uh, it is it is guaranteed to see its actuations very quickly, <laughs> or it's it's limited limited numbers. Yep. Yeah, it's a brutal environment. So they should have kid ratings then. <laughs> Krs. Kr. <laughs> this is a KR6. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> well, no, because you have a, a physical kid rating and then a, like, moisture kid rating for, like, spit and juice and food and stuff like that. <laughs> so it'd be just like an IP rating except KR. So KR67 would oh, be... Oh, KR67 is, like, all of them put together. Yeah. Yeah. So a, 60, a KR67 is, like... A kid can never destroy that button. Yeah, right. It can it can withstand, you know, gallons of apple juice being spilled on it and <laughs> hours of button pressing. So maybe our new testing facilities, we just, you know, give our products in an elementary school, come back in a week, and they <laughs> give they us a work? report on it and how destroyed <laughs> it is. <laughs> that is a good idea. Yeah. All right, so second RFO. Yeah. Wood Lichtenberg. This is sort of an internal one in a yeah. way. Uh, Justin our director of operations at Macrofab. VP of operations. VP of operations. So he got promoted. No. No? It's always been VP? No, he's always been VP. Ah, okay. <laughs> Just not to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he came to us a couple weeks ago with this, this project, I guess. He sent yeah. us this link. And it's really cool. It's basically a piece of wood. A lot of high voltage, which is always fun to play with. Mm -hmm. And it makes, like, lightning bolts seared into the wood. Yeah, yeah. So you actually burn a pattern of lightning-ish things into into the wood. And so what what they do is you take baking soda and then you mix it in water. Mm -hmm. And that's your electrolyte and current carrier. Yeah. And you soak the wood in it. And then you apply... You know, like six to twelve kilovolts to the either ends of the wood, and it arcs through. Right, but it's it's kind of slow. It burns its way through, which is really cool. Um, there's a there's a bunch of videos on YouTube that show this. And so most people use like a neon sign transformer, and so we picked one of these things up mm-hmm. for like sixty bucks on Amazon. Yeah, they're really not that bad. Um, and this one does. I can't remember the part number, but it does twelve kilovolts at thirty five milliamps. Right. Um, and so I was like, well, if the power supply used all its power to burn the wood, mm-hmm. then the wood would have to be around, what, 342,000-ish volt. You ohms. just did that calculation in your head, didn't you? Uh, I've rounded. <laughs> I've rounded. <laughs> what, what I like is what Justin keeps saying about this project. He, he, he'll, he'll keep saying, it won't kill you. It'll just severely mess you up if you get shocked by it. Yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna attempt to be as safe as possible when doing this. Yep. It it, it really it really isn't that bad. I, you just kind of you marinate the wood a little bit in baking soda <laughs> water. <laughs> yeah. You drive nails into either end, clip them on with you know basically jumper cables that are 
far apart from each other mm -hmm. and then just roast it. Roast it. Yeah. It's really cool. So, a, yeah, we'll maybe uh, we'll oh, have we to take some pictures while we do it. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll do a Facebook live stream. Yeah, we'll um, we'll have to figure out exactly when we're going to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. Third topic. The Qualcomm fingerprint sensor enables virtual home button. This is really neat um, because of the implications of where things are going, in my opinion. So basically what this is is, is Qualcomm has now... Be, uh, created a uh, fingerprint sensor or an ultrasonic sensor that can exist underneath the glass in a touchscreen, mainly phones, yep. and it can act as a home button without actually having a physical tactile home button. Yeah, it's interesting that it's ultra ultrasonic. Yeah. So the resolution is high enough for that sensor to read the ridges in your finger. That's right, yeah. And so the the article that we have here doesn't doesn't go into a lot of detail on the how it works, more of just like this now exists. Oh, yeah, this now exists kind of. Uh, thing, yeah. But one thing that they were talking about is it can actually detect your heart heartbeat, which is not that crazy. But they also say blood flow, so that's curious. I'm I'm I want to know what they're actually doing to detect the actual flow of your blood. You know, how far away away from being able to you know do some diagnostics just yeah. by putting your fingers on your phone. And some other stats they had there, it goes through, um, the sensor can read through 800 micrometers. Yep. Doesn't sound like a lot, but the glass on your phone is very thin. Yep. So, yeah, that's the glass, and it can go up to 650 micrometers of aluminum. So it can go through solid aluminum. That's well. impressive. Yeah. The, the the cool thing here's here's what I'm I'm kind of liking and, and and they 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 said that uh, the iPhone eight I don't know when that's coming out but that's supposedly supposed to incorporate this so they're getting rid of their one button you know uh, altogether on the front what what I see us moving towards Apple already got rid of the headphone port you know they they do Bluetooth. Oh, so they get rid of the screen next. They're getting rid of buttons entirely. So, you could you potentially have wireless charging, wireless audio, and no buttons on front? Could you have a hermetically sealed phone? Probably. So that's well, kind of seems still like get the, audio out, audio in and out. Well, okay, that's the last one that I see. Uh, the speaker, but can you not come up with some way to vibrate the case? Yeah, you could just have a transducer on the case that's right yeah so can we have fully sealed phones i think that's where we're headed towards pretty Probably. cool i was actually thinking about the fact that it can read your heartbeat and blood flow yeah and so apple can read data on like what apps make you excited and like what videos you're watching at the time and stuff like that oh yeah this is where we put our tinfoil hats on i guarantee you they're doing crap like that <laughs> Any way that they can find to make more money off of yeah. it, they will do or it. Or like, oh, this ad bored them, so, you know, because their heart rate went down or something like that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Cool. Neat. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have, I don't think we have any other news. Um, we had the, we had the meetup yesterday. Yep. And it went pretty well. So we'll have another one in July, end of July. Mm -hmm. um, so go is the sign up up on Eventbrite yet? Not yet. Okay. So when that comes up, it'll probably be by next week. Yeah. Keep your eyes open for it. Yep. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Mm -hmm.